0: Welcome to Inside Lightspeed, the podcast that takes you inside the company powering high-performing businesses today. This podcast may include forward-looking statements that are based on assumptions and therefore subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results that differ materially from those projected. We undertake no obligation to update these statements except as required by law. You can read about these risks and uncertainties in our filings with U.S. and Canadian securities regulators. Our commentary today may include adjusted financial measures, which are non-IFRS measures. I'm Gus Papagiorgio, Lightspeed's Head of Investor Relations. And today, I'm speaking to Jonah Giorgio, Lightspeed's General Manager of Payments and Financial Services. So let's jump right in. Welcome, Jonah. Thanks, Gus. Glad to have you here today. So before we get off and start talking about payments, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you been here at uh, Lightspeed?
1: Oh, uh, I joined Lightspeed a little over two and a half years ago.
0: Have you spent uh, your entire career in payments? Was payments new to you when you joined Lightspeed?
1: Uh, no, I've I've helped a uh, few SaaS companies monetize payments, both North America and globally. Uh, but my, my educational background is in economics. But I've been in the payments field for over 15 years now.
0: And you're here in Toronto, that's right? That's correct. All right. So getting into this, Joan, I think, you know, in the last few years, we've seen a lot of software companies integrate payments into the solutions, not only ourselves, but um, some of our competitors as well. What's led to this phenomenon of you know payments being integrated with software?
1: I'd say generally speaking, an all-in-one solution accelerates commerce for SaaS companies. Typically, SaaS companies are focused on enabling their customers to fulfill their business needs effectively. And while enhancing payment has not always been the top priority, eventually accepting payments becomes a challenge that they are trying to solve. Most companies navigate that by referring merchants or or their customers to payment processors outside of their uh, ecosystem. But the whole uh, flow of onboarding a customer historically has typically been clunky and and neither party has been providing a best-in-class experience for the customer.
0: So it it really wasn't an issue of uh, that there was this big epiphany that, oh, we need to offer payments. It was kind of, you know, we're offering software, payments is a problem, and we need to solve for it. Is that more the the way things uh, panned out?
1: Exactly. One may say that it was a bit of an afterthought um, because they're so focused on offering their core business and and making that grow. And the payment space has historically been fragmented. And additionally, with different ways of commerce uh, happening now, online, in-person, curbside, payments has become even a bigger challenge for the SMBs. And a few legacy Payment platform like FIS, Fiserv, saw the benefits they could bring to the SaaS companies by introducing a concept like payment facilitation, where they provide a one-stop shop experience and additionally add a new revenue stream to SaaS companies.
0: And. You know, in the end, I guess the, the, the big benefactor here is the customer, because by integrating the payments into the software, I mean, it just makes life so much easier for our customers. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, how, how does, you know, instead of going to two different platforms, you know, where you have a software running your business and a payments provider, integrating the two, I think really does in the end help our customers.
1: Absolutely. It's the complete all-in-one solution that really focuses on merchants. And, and what their needs are and having to give them that single point of contact, a single point of truth for their payments and the POS needs, it takes care of, uh, you know, running the business, the day to day of the business uh, and so that the merchant can thrive and, and focus on their craft.
0: It really, I think, in addition, increases accountability, right? Whereas before, you might have the software provider pointing the finger at the payments provider, and the payments provider's pointing the finger at the software provider. But now, by integrating the two, you know we own we own the relationship, we own the customer, and so it's up to us to make sure that that, that everything works
1: exactly. And and the level of support there is simply more streamlined. Uh, like you said, there is no pointing the fingers at uh, one one vendor to the other. It's really you secure payments with a company like Lightspeed and you secure your POS through them as well. And your support and your concerns are addressed by that sole company.
0: Switching now to kind of a a traction of the the solution. So, you know, we've said in our last call that about 15% of our U.S. retail GTV is going through payments and that took us about 20 months to get there. In Canada, we're seeing about 12% of the GTV, retail GTV go through payments. It only took us about eight months to get there. What did we learn in the US uh, when we rolled out payments that allow us to see faster adoption in Canada versus the US? Can we talk about what things we learned and can we apply these uh, as we try to roll this out globally?
1: Yeah, so like any new product, it took a while to get the momentum going when we first launched payments in the U.S. market. And it, launching payments generally requires a lot of due diligence in terms of compliance, card brand rules, regulations. There's risk to think about, risk mitigation, uh, building processes and teams. So we learned so much about the space initially, and, and it, was, it was a, a, a learning curve, a, a, a huge learning curve for us. But most of all, what we learned is about our merchants, their needs, and and what we notice is that it, this is an underserved market, and the customer experience is paramount to Lightspeed, which is why we took our time to get it right. But once we were set up, expansion. Or the thought of expansion was much easier. Bringing payments to Canada was simpler because it required, you know, similar rails that we had already built in the U.S. Because Canada too is credit card heavy. Uh, but then there was this element of localized experience that was introduced, um, and and which is interact in Canada. Uh, and once we understood the localized and ha- Understood how to build technology around these localized nuances and choosing the right payment partner that would give us this opportunity, it became much easier. The adoption and we learned from our go-to-market strategies and um, just operations, uh, back office was all streamlined. It put us in a very good position now, when you think about it, when we launch in EMEA.
0: I want to hit on, um, you know, regional differences uh, a bit later on. But before we um, leave North America now, you know, we've launched payments in U.S. hospitality. Obviously, the hospitality industry recently has been struggling uh, due to lockdowns. But, you know, as we kind of hopefully get out of these lockdowns and economies open up, can you talk about? Our expectations here, you know, especially given the latest two acquisitions of ShopKeep and Upserve, that's drastically increased our hospitality footprint in North America. You know, as we emerge uh, from from these lockdowns, what do you think are the potential for uh, for hospitality for us?
1: We believe this segment is going to come back strong. Uh, I I think we are all tired of being home and not socializing. And uh, with a large portion of our population getting vaccinated soon, there will be a need for the hospitality industry to be ready and and to serve a vast population that has been deprived of basic human behavior, which is socializing and, and enjoying a meal for Upserve this could be huge. They have such a such a bespoke product uh, to begin with and now with the acquisition we are in a in a better position to launch in more markets. Shopkeep on the other hand uh, has the vast majority of its customers based in retail and retail fared much better during this period.
0: So we've done a pretty good job here in North America. Um, we're rolling out hospitality in the US and hopefully Canada's coming soon. But North America is a very important mark for us and Canada is our home base. We're seeing great growth in places like Australia, which is uh, further along their COVID recovery. And so we have kind of global ambitions for our payments and uh, we, we launched payments in the UK about a couple of weeks ago. But what, what's next for Lightspeed? Where can we expect our platform to, uh, to roll out next?
1: Lightspeed is a global company. It has been for quite some time and supporting our customers, not just in North America, but globally is something that we take very seriously. Uh, We've learned that providing an all-in-one solution makes our core SaaS products stickier. The long-term value increases tremendously when a merchant attaches payments to their POS. Uh, We are aiming to provide this you know, unified support across the globe, starting with EMEA. and we just launched Lightspeed payments in the u k last month. We can see the opportunity here is massive. Um, and and building a, a a commerce platform that offers a a compelling payment product and incorporates positive customer experiences is, is huge. it's it's paramount to to Lightspeed.
0: yeah, and. You know, here's a, the, the one thing I think that people don't realize is is just how regional payments is, right? You touched on it earlier about uh, Interact in Canada. Um, you know, and obviously there are some commonalities uh, globally as, as the big three card players are, are pretty much present everywhere. But there's still quite a few differences, right? Like, I mean, in Germany, um, I think. The bulk of online transactions are are not through credit cards; it's through the local debit system. And I, I think the Netherlands is a lot the same. Um, but can you talk about some of these regional challenges uh, that we have to address as as we you know plan to roll this out globally? Maybe give some examples. Like if you compare Germany to the U.S., what, what are the kind of the bigger uh, differences between those two uh, countries?
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, the way we pay emerges. From a culture, habits, innovation, technology, that is available to us, and and the unique mix of payment methods arises from local circumstances, like you know government regulations, economic and political conditions, infrastructure, culture, all play a role in what gets offered uh, locally in a region. Um, Different payment method preferences are as diverse as, as people who use them. So, you know, in Germany, uh, for example, adopting digital wallet technologies for e-com uh, is, is getting more and more popular. And uh, even with that, it's still a cash-based society at the point of sale. Um This has, of course, changed recently, um, but from a non-cash perspective, Germany is heavy on debit cards and very low on credit cards. Very, very different from what you see in the U.S., where credit cards are widely used and cash not so much. And comparing these two countries in the ecom space, again, U.S. very card uh, credit card heavy, whereas Germany people pay direct debit on ecom transactions. So uh, you'll see these um, local nuances and and the methods of payment changing as you go. Go across the globe, um, and, and and even in EMEA, every region has its own uh, localized debit and credit and 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 paying methods.
0: And of course, it takes time and uh, and a lot of programmers to integrate that into our payments offering.
1: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a a, a very the the experience follows a completely different flow from a product standpoint, and and also the connectors could be different, meaning, uh, you know, which terminal is used and which processor is used behind it uh, could be nuanced based on region as well.
0: And I guess the other issue as well is that, um, you know, traditionally, North America has been very retail oriented for us, um, for uh, shopkeep and upserve. Uh, and Europe has been very hospitality oriented. You know, can we talk a talk a little bit about that as as we roll out um, our kind of global ambitions for payments. Our global footprint is is very much hospitality oriented. How is that going to influence the rollout of payments?
1: The payment experience for retail and hospitality are pretty different. The flows are more complex with hospitality. Uh, As an example, the ability to split the bill several ways. By customer, it could be by order. And and these are complex flows. Then purchasing a bike, as an example, from a retail store. Additionally, our merchants, consumers are different uh, using various services, and there are local nuances to consider. Uh, We have different squads within payments, uh, within the payments team that look at the consumer experience and they specialize in each vertical. So we have a squad for retail, for hospitality, for golf. Um, But at its core, it's still the concept of processing payments. And so companies like Lightspeed look to partner with a global provider that is able to support our business and product needs. Uh, We chose to go with Adyen internationally, given their global footprint in the card presence space. And once the localization and fiscalization and regulatory frameworks are resolved for each region, we then then want to ignite payments uh, in each region of these geographies for both retail and hospitality.
0: You touched on a, another important theme here. We did choose Adyen in Europe, in Stripe our partner is North America. What are the kind of the benefits for us to kind of maintain you know, multiple partners versus consolidating down to one partner?
1: Well, we are a global company and we serve multiple verticals and there are complexities with that and no single provider has to this point offered us a solution that meet all of our needs so certain partners are better suited for some countries than others and certain providers offer better experience depending on whether we are online retail hospitality and uh, what we've really done is designed our system to support multiple processors and we see real merit in working with multiple payment partners
0: and so we've talked about hospitality, we've talked about uh, retail, and you, you're, you have to roll out globally, so you're going to be very busy over the next few months. Going a little bit beyond that, I mean, one of the initiatives that we've rolled out recently is our supplier network, and everybody internally is pretty excited about the potential there. You know, still a lot of heavy lifting um, to get it uh, up to its potential, but, you know, one of the kind of avenues it opens up for us is the potential for B2B payments, um, integrating our, you know, suppliers with the merchant or or the uh, the restaurateur, can we talk about that? Like, how how different is that going to be from what we have currently? What is the potential there, and what do you think are the the biggest challenges to to making that a reality?
1: The B two B side of the business, the opportunity is is massive, both from a, an inno- innovation standpoint as well as revenue. Uh, The B2B segment has seen some mega deals in the the recent years. It adds to the growing list of services you can offer as a company, be it invoicing, you could do international payment processing, payment analytics, issuing cards. The challenge, again, falls back to the current payment landscape, how they are built. Not all payment companies have API-first mindset. So to launch payments in this space successfully, you have to think of all the different payment mediums. One business owner's preferred method of payment may not be someone else's, and and it could be that it's not likely supported. So there are are these traditional methods of wire transfers, signing a check uh, that is pretty prevalent in B2B. Collections is another factor. Uh, but moving to a new and modern solution like ours would mitigate potential risks. So, and lastly, B two B payments is complicated. Uh, coordinating that many payment methods in a in a t- is a time consuming and resource intensive avenue. And we have to be very strategic on how we bring this to market. There's definitely a potential for additional revenue source here. So at the same time, it provides the consumer the benefits from faster payment, better customer experience, reclaim time, improved operational efficiency, and a whole lot more.
0: One of the questions I get a lot from investors is, you know, why isn't payments adoption 100%? Let's talk about that for a bit. You know, first of all, I think there are some industries where we cannot offer payments currently. Is that correct?
1: That's right. The space is heavily regulated. We are not able to sell to a whole list of prohibited merchants, like I mentioned, CBD, you know, pharmaceuticals and nutraceuticals being one of those. And while this certainly isn't majority of our business, these are industries that we currently support in our core business for retail. Uh, this prevents us from getting that hundred percent adoption you spoke about earlier. Plus with payments comes risk, right? So we have to be uh, mindful about who we are boarding. We have to make sure we know the merchants, uh, know their customers, know their business requirements. So if a merchant is not able to meet certain risk criteria, we do not board them on payments.
0: Do you think eventually we'll, we'll try to find a uh partners that will help us onboard these merchants, or are we just going to kind of say, okay, well, we can't access these merchants, so we'll just let it go?
1: And that will be ideal that we support these verticals as well. The stance on these are changing, specifically for CBD. We hear it in the news, the government, regulatory agencies, banks, financial institutions are evolving their policies around it and and, and becoming more and more accepting. So our hope is that we would be able to support and we don't have to scout for a, a new high-risk processor and, and we can leverage our existing partnerships sometime in the future.
0: So hopefully that will just kind of work itself out as some of these regulations change. But okay, so if we, if we remove that, the fact that you know certain segments, certain verticals are not eligible for, uh, for payments. Aside from that, what is the biggest reason customers decline payments?
1: I think it's just oftentimes it's just having to switch. Um, A large portion of our business is in the brick and mortar space and to switch terminals, uh, pay for them, negotiate again. Some merchants just don't want to go through that, especially if they have an existing deal that is very cost effective. So not all merchants are looking for innovations, especially the, the really small businesses. They just want to take payments and get paid.
0: You you have enough issues on your plate when you're trying to run a small business, but one of the things I think that helps uh, payments adoption is just really the value proposition for customers, right? The ability for us to integrate payments into uh, the software, uh, I think, offers a lot more value for our customers. And maybe we could just discuss that for a bit. I mean, if you look at the value proposition, how do we sell this to customers?
1: There's just numerous advantages of Lightspeed Payments as an integrated solution. Um, First of all like I mentioned it's, it's an all in one solution that helps the merchant grow and reinvent their business and they don't have to you know, manage these different relationships with their vendors, uh, like the POS and the processor and the the accounting and, uh, you know, reconciliation. And merchants are able to process sales faster with with integrated payments and, and, and with Lightspeed payments. Um, and, it, you know, when you process sales faster and there's la- less human errors with you don't have to punch numbers on your terminal anymore. Uh, so, you know, the checkout flows become more delightful and uh, you know it's uh, also automatically syncing your payment information with your sale information and additionally it kind of covers all the processing needs like the whole omni experience online in-store and now curbside so payments also provides that customer the insights, the comprehensive reporting to see their transactions and their respective payouts. So they don't have to spend time reconciling their books. And it provides a very simple, transparent pricing for the merchant. So no hidden costs or setup fees or monthly minimums or or getting you know, find for early termination as an example. So that simplicity and with the value prop, it gets the merchant uh, a complete commerce experience without the hassle of maintaining several different books or, or vendor relationships. And they can really focus on what they do best.
0: I think this really is a, a key value proposition here, and kind of in line with our uh, omni-channel strategy that uh, Dax and JP uh, are really highlighting. Right, I mean the fact that you have one payment method for in-store, curbside, online, also really helps. You know, the, with the data that you have, the analytics, the loyalty, um, so you can really kind of. Optimize your business and your operations, and and really can hopefully help them increase their sales and 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 just make life generally uh, more prosperous for them.
1: Absolutely, it it truly is that you know single source of truth, and and it. it- Adds up like it, it, it ties in in the the merchant information uh, to run their business on on their data on their products and and they're able to s- seriously streamline some of these uh, uh, dated processes that have been used historically.
0: So, you know, if we look over the next few months and years, there's, there's no shortage of challenges on our hands, on your hands. Uh, you know, we have to, you have to roll up payments globally, uh, which you're doing. We have to light up uh, both retail and hospitality. Yeah, so a lot of work there. Uh, But as we knock down these obstacles, what do you see as the impediment for us achieving a much higher penetration of our GTV going through payments? Uh, I mean, versus right now, we've said that less than 10% of our GTV is going through payments. If we look out, do you think there's any impediments for us getting that number much, much higher?
1: There are challenges um, and part of the challenge is what I mentioned in the beginning of our, our chat is a lot of SaaS companies were so focused on their core business that payments was more on the referral side. And now part of the challenge has been launching payments broadly beyond North America is that these several different referral partnerships that we have to look into, they don't, they don't bring that kind of economics. That payment does. So yes, a few challenges, but for the most part, these are all solvable. Some might be more complex than others, but no, I I see the penetration of GTV grow tremendously in the future.
0: Another question I get um, is just uh, on the margins of payments. And we've stated publicly that uh, we're getting roughly 2.6% per transaction and our gross margins for payments is in the mid 20% range. Uh, you know, If we look out a few years, uh, hopefully our GTV grows, hopefully our customer base grows. What can we expect from margins of, from the payment solutions over the long term?
1: I think cost optimization plays a role. It's something that I have had in my mind for quite some time. Uh, there are several ways to handle them it could be through negotiating better rates with your payment provider or and and, and as we grow our business and have more gtv flowing through the payment through payments lightspeed payments economies of scale kicks in and we get better rates so then on top of that if we send level three data which is you know just enhanced transaction data like adding zip code and tax rate and invoice reference number to your processors you know you can qualify qualify for better interchange rate, which makes up the majority of our cost. So bring additional optionality on payments also to improve these margins, such as instant payout that could bring additional revenue streams to payments and financial services overall.
0: So it's not just scale and cost. It's also, you know, offering uh, more financial services. And just so that uh, hits on my next point, um, before I let you go, um, I think that Lightspeed Capital also falls within your responsibilities. Now, we have our capital offering and, um, you know, we recently acquired Shopkeep, which had a much more advanced capital business. Uh, Can you discuss the difference between these approaches, uh, between Lightspeed and and Shopkeep?
1: Both capital products are merchant cash advances. Um, Lightspeed Capital is still pretty much in its early stage and we are building on some flows within the product. Shopkeep Capital, on the other hand, has been around since 2019. So prior to acquisition of ShopKeep, that product they were using their own funds and they built the product for both integrated payment customers as well as non-integrated. They build their own underwriting and operations and team, and they have their own list of eligibility requirements. And once you pa- once a merchant's pass those eligibility requirements, they're able to bring capital to those customers regardless whether they're Shopkeep uh, merchants that are integrated or not. The ex-CFO of Shopkeep is executing on this initiative and exploring ways to expand it further. Lightspeed Capital used... uh, stripe infrastructure to offer capital to only a group of customers that are Lightspeed payments only merchants the eligibility thresholds are a little less flexible because uh, you know in in that model stripe owns the risk and and uh, at the moment and we are iterating and constantly iterating as we're learning more but Lightspeed capital is evolving and as the product is getting, uh, we are looking at creative ways with Stripe to improve the experience and grow adoption. But I must point out the advantage here on Lightspeed Capital is we are learning a ton. We are learning so much about having this offering, what our merchants' uh, needs are, and a lot around their requirements, where how they're using the capital. So the good thing is it's all under one umbrella now.
0: And if you if you look at the offerings that we're putting out there and the traction, I mean, obviously, still very early. Can you t- discuss a little bit about the you know the typical working capital advance that we're seeing, and maybe about the the duration of the payback?
1: We are still early in the process, so we're seeing how it evolves. Um, our max maximum advance is a uh, hundred thousand USD, but our average is much lower than that. Generally, an advance is set to be. Repayed through daily reimbursements over 6 to 9 months.
0: And then if you look at the two you kind know, of if we compare Lightspeed and versus the shopkeep approach, you know, which do you think will be uh, more appropriate for us going forward?
1: It'll be a blend of the two. Both will be upgraded to the verticals we serve. This is us looking ahead, you know, eight to 10 months and making this offer global. Uh, While Lightspeed Capital will operate around the boundaries of Lightspeed Payments, Shopkeep, on the other hand, uh, given they are a a bit more advanced or quite a bit more advanced in their product and uh, will be extended to merchants currently not on payments, but are still looking to get that, you know, aid to run their business. The aim here is to be there for our merchants when they need us, specifically during times like these, right? So where they're looking for support, thinking of ways on how to bring their business back and, and thrive again in the economy as things open up, we want to be there for our merchants and, and help them uh, with capital uh, where possible. And we're looking to be their partner during this phase and looking to support them uh, as much as possible.
0: And so as you said, I mean, currently uh, capital uh, for us is only available in the U.S., but uh, our intentions are eventually to, to roll this out globally, correct?
1: We're looking into it. Obviously, there will be local regulations to follow, just like we had to do for payments, but we, we are working through those details at the moment.
0: Okay. One last uh, topic before I let you go here. So we've launched payments um, and it's doing quite well. Uh, m- more recently, we launched capital and you know we think that business has promise as well. What do you think um, we can offer in addition to these financial services for our customers? You know, if we look out a few years, what is the potential for uh, Lightspeed's Financial Services to expand? Um, I get not just geographically, but in terms of the the solutions that we offer.
1: Quite honestly, we have a whole flywheel of financial products that would be a, a natural extension of payments uh, to build. We have the foundation done. Uh, which is payments, and, 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 and we are getting better and better at that. And, and then the idea is to help our merchants make, move, and manage their money. So the obvious one here is instant deposit, paying the merchant uh, their sale volume instantly on their debit cards. And, and that's something that would be the next stop for us.
0: Well, it seems that there's no shortage of uh, things on your to-do list over the next uh, few years, so that uh, that's great. John, I want to thank you uh, for joining us today, and we look forward to maybe speaking to you again in the future.
1: Thank you, Gus. It was a pleasure. I'm always happy talking about payments.
0: Thanks. <laughs> great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Inside Lightspeed. For more information about Lightspeed's integrated payment offering, visit lightspeedhq.com. If you aren't already, be sure to follow Lightspeed on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is LightspeedHQ. Original music for the episode was composed by Timothy LeClaire. The episode was edited by Jonathan Beaton and produced by Lightspeed. See you next time.